Celtics renew a rivalry with the Sixers. The Bruins go down in seven in the first round of the playoffs. And don't look now, the Red Sox might actually be a pretty good baseball team. This is the Press Pass. I am Chris Ryan. Let's do a little more of an in-depth look at the Celtics-Sixers series now. We're going to start with Jalen Brown. And the Celtics got to this series by getting things done in Game 6 on the road in Atlanta after a really heartbreaking, difficult defeat against the Hawks in Game 5 at home. Uh, so we're going to start with Jalen Brown on that and also the impact that Jalen has had in this postseason. He led all scorers with 25 in Game 2. What did you learn about this team or what was reinforced? Because obviously each team is different each year. But what did you learn about this team in the way that you handled and responded to adversity and what you like? Um, we, got some, we got some warriors and some tough guys in this locker room, some guys that handle adversity well and don't back down from challenges. Unafraid of the moment. You know, and you get reminded of that in the playoffs when you get to these, you know, pressure situations and you get to the time where the game is on the line. You know, that's where you get to see what somebody's made of. What's been your mindset in this playoffs? Because it feels like you've taken your game to, again, a next level. Um, just do what needs to be done is, is my mindset. You know, um, I feel like I still got levels to, to tap and reach. Um, but for now, I'll just do what needs to be done. Malcolm Brogdon dropped 23 on the Hawks, played some key defense as well in Game 2 of the series. Here's Malcolm. Are they almost like two different teams with or without him? And, and what do you see particularly from them on the defensive side of the ball without him in the lineup? For sure, they're definitely two different teams. Um, and, you know, the team without, I think the games he hasn't played, they're 12-5. and five, So they're a really good team without him as well um, on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, I think without him defensively, I think everybody, um, you know, guards a little bit better. They don't have a... 7-1 guy waiting at the rim. Um, and then, you know, offensively, I think the ball moves more um, and everybody's more aggressive and more confident. What did you learn about this team as a playoff team, you know, after the heartbreaking Game 5 loss and the way, you know, the game was ebbing and flowing in, the, uh, in Game 6? Uh, I think we're resilient. I think we've been resilient all year. Um, you know, we've gone through stretches where we lose a few in a row, but we always bounce back and we bounce back stronger. Um, and I think that's going to help us in this playoff run. Um, you know, Atlanta... People are saying we should have swept Atlanta. People are saying we, you know, they shouldn't win more than one game. They won two games. Um, you know, they played very good basketball, high level. Um, but we didn't let that noise get to us. Um, we were able to close it out in six. And uh, really, at the end of the day, finish the series, I was supposed to finish it. When you look at your role in this team, do you see yourself as kind of the, you know, the X factor, the guy that um, can put this team over the top? Uh, you know, I hope to be. Um, I hope to at least be one of the guys that, that does that. Um, as far as next factor, I think we have a different next factor every night. I think that's the reality of our situation. I think we have a lot of great players. I think Derek's sometimes the X factor, myself, um, and then guys like Marcus. Um, I thought Marcus came out in game six of uh, the Atlanta series, and he was the X factor. He was extremely focused um, and really great on both ends. Joel Embiid returned to the floor, was not all that effective, looked rusty in game two. Here are his comments. They talked with him post game. Joel Tobias said you weren't at 100%. Is there a percentage that you would say that you're at at this point? And kind of what are you going through in order to try to, to affect the series? There's no excuses. Um, you know, I, you know I, I'm, I'm out here, so I'm good. I'm good to play. Um, you know, we, you know, we just got to be better as a team. Uh, like I said, we, we, we didn't execute what we were supposed to do. And uh, they played freely on all, all night. Uh, they got whatever they wanted. Um, so, um, as far as me, like I said, I'm I'm good. 
Where are things at you know, psychologically for this group going back to Philadelphia? You got the split as you wanted, but they've obviously had you know, success against you guys in, in years past. Where are things at for you and, and the group? Um, I mean, we want to win both games. Uh, we feel like every single game, um, you know, is an opportunity to accomplish something and win the game. So, you know, coming, coming in here, um, you know, to Boston, uh, we want to win both games, but you know, it's uh, it's not easy uh, when you beat a team like that. Uh, you know, they're a really good team, and you know, you know, they're gonna respond at home with their fans. Uh, so it's our turn to make sure we're locked in. Um, you know, every, everybody does a job. Um, you know, tonight, like I said, we uh, we didn't we didn't make any shots, uh, especially the same shots that we were making the other night. So, uh, but I think. Uh, think we'll be ready. Game one was all about James Harden as he dropped 45 on the seas. He got shut down, though, in game two. It was 0 of 8 from 3, struggled from the field, 15 points total for Harden. For the Celtics in game two, it was all about late third, where the Celtics extended a 13-point lead to 27. Fourth quarter was garbage time. Talked with Joe Mazzula about that. The guys have a great awareness to just momentum in general, and I think momentum is such a huge part to the playoffs and to games, and it's constantly shifting back and forth. And um, D. White's on the list of our momentum guys that, you know, one or two plays that he makes really helps our team. Um, And each guy has the gifts to do that, and so uh, those plays throughout the game just kind of help us. Joe, late third, they call timeout, they cut it to 13, and you guys are able to push it to – 27 and kind of take control of the game late third. What did you see during that that sequence and obviously how significant was it to get the fourth quarter to rest some guys? Yeah, pace. Um, I thought I said we got stops and then we were able to get out and run and we got great looks and we made the right play every single time. Game one is one of those games that if the Celtics don't have success in this series, you go back and you look at it and you're like, yeah, here's why. Talk to Jason Tatum about that. Jason, does this feel like a missed opportunity given how long they were off the Embiid situation and you guys coming into this series hoping to make a statement? Does the game one feel like a missed opportunity? Uh, I guess. Um, you were just you just want to win every game you play. Uh, you know, regardless of circumstance, you just you want to win. And we didn't do it enough to win, so uh, – Every game you lose, I guess, is a missed opportunity um, to get a win. All right, Jason Tatum right there. And, of course, the Celtics-Sixers rivalry is one that has been one of the better rivalries in basketball. And one of the best decades for it, well, the 1980s, in particular the early 1980s. Talked with Cedric Maxwell, number 31, hangs the rafters at TD Garden about that. So I wanted to get lost that this is one of the greatest rivalries in sports, the Sixers and the Celtics. And obviously goes back to the 60s with Wilt and uh, with uh, Bill Russell, obviously before your time. But the 80s rivalry was insane with the teams. Obviously, there's a lot of focus on Dr. J and Larry Bird, but the team's intense rivalry. What was behind that and kind of what kind of fueled that rivalry between these two teams? Uh, two strong-willed teams, great players. I mean, from top to bottom, you had Hall of Famers all over the place, and two teams ultimately trying to win championships. Celtics trying to, you know, get back over the over the hump and get take that mantle back, and and then Philly just trying to do what they did for Dr. J. In 82, there was the chant of beat L.A. when you guys were falling behind the Sixers in that series. They were going to go to the finals, but 
it, so it makes it seem like the fact that the Lakers rivalry was bigger than the Sixers rivalry to the fans. But to you guys, which rivalry was bigger? Uh, seven and sixes because you saw them all the time. I don't think anybody would have uh, gone any further than that. They were a great team. And the rivalry there, what we were able to do and what we were able to accomplish was, uh, you know, coming back from a 3-1 deficit twice and winning against them. Uh, it, it was it was, it was surreal uh, to play, uh, you know, Dr. J and Bobby Jones and Kyle Jones and Andrew Tony. I mean, you got Hall of Famers all over the place. So, yeah, it, it was pretty special. Why do you think Larry and Dr. J were at each other so much? And obviously Larry gets associated with magic, kind of the same thing as the Celtics and Lakers rivalry. But it felt like there was more hatred between Dr. J and Larry than obviously magic and Larry. Well, I think those two, there was, it was more magic and, and, magic and uh, bird. I think they, they coexisted because they came in at the same time. College. And they played each other, so they kind of liked each other. I, I think that's one of the few people I think Larry liked, just liked personally. There was no love lost at all uh, with Dr. J and who he was. So I, I just believe that, you know, it was just a, a personal thing. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Like, who was Dr. J and why did you know, Dr. J and Larry not vibe? Um, I, Larry, Julius was an older player. He was an older player who was an established star. And Larry and Magic were coming in trying to establish themselves in the league. So I think they felt more of a kinship than that he did with Dr. J. What games in that era defined that rivalry? Uh, 1981 series. was Every game was a one- or two-point game. Uh, you know, comebacks, fights. Uh, you... you the intensity. I mean, I've, I've always always told people. I said, I've never. My father was, you know, a marine, but I've never been to war. But that was about as close as I came to feeling like I was going to battle or something like that could happen. Almost every one of those games. Reading about an exhibition game like forty years ago, where you got in a fight with Moses Mullen. There are two other fights. Larry got in a fight with I think Sadale Freed or something. What what happened there? And what was your your situation with Moses? It wasn't. It, well, I got the rebound. And he pushed me for whatever reason it was. And I had the ball in my hand. I hit him in the head. And then they both, he he ran and grabbed me. And then I was holding him up. I was doing pretty good. And then Tony grabbed me. And then I fell down. And the weirdest thing happened. Moses got me. I was on the bottom of the pile. And he started squeezing me like he was a fucking snake. <laughs> I was like, what? what? What are you doing? <laughs> I got up. I asked him, what, what are you doing? So I you know he wasn't even punching me, but he was just squeezing me as hard as he could. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was kind of weird as a fight. And then the the bird fight with uh, uh, you know Dr. J uh, Barkley grabbed Larry, and I went to grab. I was trying to I grabbed. You can see me grab Charles Barkley. I was trying to choke him out. The joke was so strong, man. He flung me. I went flying, and I was just it was it was it was so. It wasn't a fight anybody got hurt, the fillers got hurt, but it was just it was just the intensity of it all. Well, I think in this rendition of the rivalry, do you think the Sixers have anything, you know, for the Celtics, particularly without Embiid? No, I don't think there's the the the, the rivalry isn't there and, and I think Joel Embiid said when one team beats the other team more, then where's the rivalry at? 
Uh, you know, uh, obviously going to be a, a hard-fought series. And, in fact, where does Joel Embiid stand? Does he play in this series? Does he play the first couple of games? We'll get a chance to see that. Before we get to the Bruins, let's hear from former Celtics head coach and current Sixers head man Doc Rivers on two topics. A, the injuries we have seen in the playoffs to star players really throughout the course of the year. I mean, Giannis, Jimmy Butler, uh, Joel Embiid did not start this series. Chris Paul is out now for the Suns. The injuries continue to pile up. Why? And also, how good is the now MVP of the NBA, Joel Embiid? Doc, you mentioned earlier, kind of referenced um, the fact that a lot of star players are dealing with injuries, despite yeah. all the load management and everything that's gone yeah. to trying to maintain health. Why do you why do you think that is, and mm-hmm. do you think it's different in this era compared to when you coached here, when you played previous? Yeah, it's different. I mean, I don't know if I don't know why it's different. Honestly, obviously, the load management stuff is all different. We did uh, our own version of load management when I was here uh, with Paul, Kevin, and Ray. We set them at times, you know, not to the extent that is done now. Um, I have no idea why there's more injuries. Um, the better athletes, they're off their feet more, you know. I mean, Stockton told me years ago, the less you leave your feet, the less you get injured, you know. Um, it's hard to play basketball not doing that. Uh, John figured that out, you know, but most can't. So, um, you know, I don't know the reason. Um, you know, that's changing, too, with the low guys. Uh, we amped our guys. We ramped our guys up late in the year uh, because we felt like guys play more minutes in the playoffs, and they have to be ready to sustain that. So uh, there's still a lot of theories on it. Joel joined an exclusive group of bigs and winning the MVP, and I'm curious mm-hmm. from an historical perspective, is there anybody that's of that group that he kind of reminds you of the most? Obviously, Hakeem has been – a big comparison. Yeah, I guess that would probably be the, the closest, you know, uh, because of his ability on the post. But, you know, Kim didn't shoot threes, you know, like Joel. Or, you know, he's probably a cross. I've actually said it before, a cross between Patrick Ewing and the King. You know, uh, if you take the best parts of both of them, that's a pretty good player when you think about it. Uh, but that's what I would say more of. Now to the Bruins, where the disappointment is still raw. The debates are still taking place. And even as Florida's had success in this series against the Maple Leafs, the disappointment is real. This was the best team in NHL history in the regular season. Most points, most wins. And a first-round exit was the last thing that everybody expected. Not just a first-round exit, but how they did it. Blowing a 3-1 series lead. Blowing a game number seven in which they led pretty much throughout the course of the third period, only to surrender the game-tying goal with less than a minute to go, and then uh, the game-winning goal in overtime. There were decisions that were made and not made. The lineup decisions, uh, whether it was putting Jeremy Swayman in for a Game 7, which most people agreed with, but maybe having him play at some point prior to that in the series. So a lot there. We'll start with Jim Montgomery here with a couple key points. A, the decision to play Swayman in Game 7 over Allmark, and B, what was going on down the stretch for the Bruins in that game. This is a team that closed games out throughout the course of the season by possessing the puck in the offensive zone, by looking to add to a 3-2 lead as opposed to sitting back in their end and trying to hold off a team and see the clock run out to zero as opposed to trying to build on to the lead. Here is Jim Montgomery. thought he was going to give us the best chance tonight. You know, you'd have to ask 
goalie Bob a little more in detail about that. Um, but we all thought that he was going to give us the best opportunity tonight. What's your evaluation of the second half of the third period and also overtime and what you saw from, from your group? Um, I guess once, once we got the lead you're talking about, I guess, second half. Yeah, um, I thought we uh, didn't possess pucks well enough. Um, I thought we were just looking to punt pucks, not playing our normal puck possession game when we had it. I thought we defended and checked hard, but we're checking too much because of our puck play. Also talked with the Bruins' Brad Marchand. You think you guys ever you know, found your game in this series and got to where you wanted to be? Mm, at times, um, you know, like even that, that game five, like we, you know, we felt we kind of dominated that game, and um, you know, and they ended up winning. Um, seemed like they did a really good job at pushing back whenever we were getting that momentum. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we got to where we needed to be. Um, throughout the series we did in, in moments and in spurts, but, um, you know, not enough. Here's David Pasternak. Pasternak, when you score that third goal, you're thinking this team's about to win the series? Yeah, 100%. It's, you know, it's it's third period goal, leading goal, so uh, you're definitely thinking that, you know, and uh, we're very close to end up closing it. So. Why do you think the team wasn't able to, to close it out? What you see late third and also over time? Mm. I mean, the tying goal, you know, it's, you know, we didn't get the puck out. Um, we get, we block a shot, you know, and bounce right to them, get in the net, you know, and um, it's a tight game, you know, so uh, obviously a lot, of, a lot of emotions running, so uh, that one definitely hurt. The expectation, obviously, that you would end the season hoisting the Stanley Cup, is that one of the reasons that you mentioned that you're feeling, thinking about this personally? Uh, yes, 100%. You always... Uh, uh, setting sky uh, goals, you know, but at the same time we were really focused on the moment, you know, it was really hard series and uh, we weren't looking past them, you know, and, uh, you know, they they played well and, you know, they deserve a little credit. Tyler Bertuzzi, one of a number of Bruins who are likely gone here. Bertuzzi gone, Orloff gone, probably Garnet Hathaway gone as well. The Bruins need to clear some cap space. Talk with Tyler Bertuzzi after Game 7. Tyler, when you look at this Game 7, what stands out to you as being the difference here tonight, the reason they had success? Um, uh, an OT goal. I mean, um, OT could win either way, and, um, and they scored. Just how would you describe kind of the, the emotions of, of this the situation and just everything the guys are going through right now? Yeah, it was um, definitely a tough way to end to overtime, so... Um, it's not going to feel good for for a while, um, but it was uh, you know it was a pleasure to play with a lot of these guys. How'd you feel about you know, your postseason? The way you were able to establish yourself and, and obviously contribute? Yeah, for sure. Um, try to obviously step up at big moments and uh, you know help the team win as much as I can. Big questions now for the Bruins surrounding Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. Krejci expects to have a decision on his future in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Bergeron might take a little bit longer to have a decision, but uh, we'll see what their futures hold.
Now to the Red Sox, who are rolling. They've won five out of their last six series. A big reason for that, the bats. And Alex Verdugo is one of the biggest ones for the Boston Red Sox. Walk-off home run on Monday against the Jays. This after a walk-off single against the Guardians on Saturday. What type of statement, in your view, was this series against the Blue Jays? Obviously, last year you guys only won three games in 19 against these guys to sweep them four games straight here. What does that say about who this group is this year? Um, yeah, I think it just means that you know it's we're playing better baseball this year, man. We're 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 a different team. We have a different dynamic, and um, you know I've said it I've said it a lot, but I feel like you know it's just going to continue saying the same thing. It's a uh, it's you know from from one to nine like our, our offense from from lead off to the nine hole man we, we're putting up good at bats we're forcing pitchers in the zone swinging at our pitches and uh, you know we're really um, we're doing a good job of just chasing pitchers out of the game man and whether it's four or five innings you get them out you get the bullpen in and uh, that's when you do damage especially if you can do that earlier in series because then it drains them for you know the next three four games like or you know games three and four but. Uh, yeah, for us, man, I think, you know, we're just in a better space, man, all together, from, from guys knowing their roles to, to rookies coming up and, and just, you know, being comfortable and, and, and controlling ABs. And obviously Duran's on fire and Massa's on fire. We got guys that are really clicking, so uh, that definitely helps as well. Yeah, I thought the most impressive part was the approach you guys had with Manoa and, and Gossman as well. Two of the best pitchers in the big leagues, and you guys drove the count. If you had to take the ball the opposite field, you did it. The second base hole opened up um, a couple times a couple times in this game against Gossman, and you have obviously Turner put it through there. I mean, that that seems to be like a difference this year is that you guys are very comfortable with your your approach and and executing it. Yeah, I think, and that that kind of. Uh you know, correlates with um, the motto of like next man up. You know, get the get the next guy up. And like I said, it, it doesn't feel like you know. Where last year it was um, three, like one of three guys that you know we're gonna that that a pitcher maybe had to pitch around and avoid, or or we were waiting for like three guys to kind of have that big moment. You know, it feels like this year it's it's one through nine. Anybody on the bench coming off like. We, we, anybody can can have that big moment for us and, and come through, and I think that's what um, that's what like you know makes you a really win, like a winning ball club and, and and play a lot better is that everybody's contributing, everybody's you know it's a whole it's a whole uh, <laughs> just a whole gang over here, just everybody doing their job and, and handling business. So it's not just waiting for one person to do it. Last thing I want to ask you about was, I don't know if you saw this or not, but you have more walk-off hits in your career than Derek Jeter is viewed as being a pretty clutch baseball player. I mean, what does that mean, and what allows you to rise in those moments and not just hit a home run if that's what's needed, but, you know, put a ball in play if that's what's needed? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome, obviously, when you, uh, you know, put it in that way and, and, you know, just even anything with Derek Jeter is, is, uh, it's a compliment in itself, so... You know, for me, it's um, it's something that I prided myself against, man. I, I want to be clutch. I want to be the guy that comes through for the team, and you know, especially when we need it. So, um, you know, for me, it's just keep doing what I'm doing, man. Keep uh, having just good at bats and swinging at the right pitches. And you know, I think you take your mind out of it and just you know, just try to get on time and see pitches that day. Like you put yourself in a good spot to to succeed. You know, when you try to think about the moment and let it become too big or you want to get it in and out, then, you know, it it just, it doesn't really work too well, I feel like.
One of the most encouraging parts of the Red Sox homestand was actually Chris Sale's outing on Sunday against the Guardians. Red Sox were going for a series victory, and Sale ramped it up. Uh, throwing six and a third, gave up only one run, three hits in the game, struck out five. Slider was working at command of all of his pitches. And you know, in the sixth inning, when he was facing some challenges, guys on base, he really settled in. He was pumping it in at 98 miles an hour. Uh, he looked really good in this outing. First vintage Chris Sale outing of the season. I talked with him post game. What's that to you most about you know, your outing today? Um, doing good. <laughs> um, I would say, obviously, just the command. I think that's the one thing when, when things aren't going right, that's that's my biggest uh, downfall is just the command of, you know, my fastball especially. Um, you know, Connor did a great job of mixing in and out. Obviously, I felt like I threw a lot of fastballs today, so um, being able to command that is going to help me be successful for sure. You've been frustrated after a lot of your outings. Did you kind of need to see the, the results and be your vintage self to some extent to – know the work is is paying off and to build confidence i don't think it takes bad outings to really need to do good you know this is this is the big leagues dog (laughs) um you got to do good every time out there's no leniency uh you know especially with who i'm supposed to be on this team um you know i I could go on a run of throwing nine complete game shutouts and on that 10th one i got to go out there and be great so um Good games, bad games. It doesn't doesn't really dictate what my next outing does. You know, I got to go be who I have to be every time out. When it comes to repeating your delivery, has that always been kind of you know a thing, given your length, or is that more related to you know the time you've had off? Uh, definitely the time off. You know, I've I've always done a, a really good job of repeating my mechanics. Um, I think that's what's given me success in the past, and um, you know, before the last few years, the durability you know aspect of it. So. You know, for me, it's just getting back to that. Repeat my mechanics. Most things are going to fall in line. Obviously, it's it's always a work in progress. But um, the more I can stay on top of those things, the more I will be successful, for sure. This is the Press Pass. I'm Chris Ryan.